Welcome to episode 9 of Caravan Conversations. On rare occasions throughout our lives, many of us will remember that time when a special someone crossed our paths, reminding us just how pure a heart can be. Today's guest was that person for me. Dave Tobain is as pure a heart as you will find within the fitness industry. A hustler at heart, Dave Powell Tobain is testament to what heart, soul and an inability to hear the word no looks like. While everyone else sits around worrying what others think of them, Dave follows the selfless philosophy, helping good people win. And the chances are, you know or follow many of these people that Dave has supported quietly over the years. A quiet achiever, a lover, an educator, and simply just a bloke who struggled through his early life with dyslexia, Dave doesn't shy away from selling himself just as he is. For once, someone is simply enough and just goes about their business one gym at a time. I'm pleased to introduce you all to one of the fitness industry's good guys and a mate that I'll have for life, Mr. Dave Powell Tobain. You are listening to Caravan Conversations with Shannon Brenton. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. Caravan Conversations is proudly produced by PSE Supplements and explores general health, nutrition and lifestyle with one of Australia's most experienced clinicians. Now, let's get into the show. All right, we're recording. So, welcome guys um, to Caravan Conversations, another episode. My name's Shannon Brenton, host of the show, and today I'm with... One of the coolest, nicest, most authentic guys you'll meet in the fitness industry. A guy that I've known for a few years uh, on, on various different levels. And a guy that I know you're all going to really love to come to know yourself. He's a really, really humble cat. Uh, he's got his heart in the right place. Uh, you'll probably see him everywhere these days. He's one of those people that um, tends to turn up lots of places. Uh, a very, very likeable man. And I'd like to introduce Mr. David Powell to Bane. Powell! <laughs> How you doing, Shannon? Good day. How's my power, by the way? Was that a bit lackluster? Mate, that was, a, that was actually excellent. You, you got to do it right? with uh, energy, man. That's how it's supposed to be delivered. Mate, I know the power's all about it. Tell us about the power to start with, Dave, because everyone sees Dave Powell to Bane <laughs> and probably wants to know what the hell it means. Mate, uh, it's quite a funny one. Um, back back where I used to be an electrician, and uh, it's still quite interesting. I think everyone who's listening will probably have, will have seen Step Brothers. And they're in the... Uh, How good is Step Brothers? Mate, I watched it three weeks ago, no, mate. really well. Mate, I haven't seen it for a while, but... Golden. Mate, that pow scene where he's like, pow! And he's like, what do you say? You sing pow, pow? He's like, pow! And the guy's like, you know, he just thought he was crazy. And mate, um, you know, because I used to be an electrician, like uh, I used to have about four jobs back then, I started to realize that, um, you know, that workmates are who we work with, there was you know, some pretty miserable bastards and uh, I'm not sure if I could swear, but... Of course you can, mate. We, we started to work out, and I, and I was big on it, like your work environment really controls, you know, whether you actually enjoy your job or, you know, you could be doing the worst thing ever. Uh, like I used to do bricklaying, that was awesome fun because we had a cool crew. Yeah. And mate, um, me and my best mate, we started to realize that we were getting a bit down at work and being a bit miserable like some of our superiors and I worked for an amazing boss. And uh, we started, when we saw that movie, it sort of just happened one day where we started to think to each other that, you know, we're not miserable, but we started to act miserable. Mm. And that's where, and I was, I was always brought up for like, you know, you're the product of the five people you hang around. Yeah. My dad always taught me that. So, mate, we're at work one day and uh, we saw that movie and, you know, we started to make it packed with, um, 
each other, me and my mate, and we just sort of thought, man, you know, we've got to snap ourselves out of, you know, being, uh, yeah, being miserable. So, mate, the movie came out, and we started powering around this house, and um, and it just gelled, it just stuck with us. So it was like we made this pact that at any time that we were miserable and it's outside of our character, and we we're starting to mimic someone else who we don't want to be like. Yeah. We would give each other like a power and snap each other out of it. Nice. And mate, it just worked and it rolled on. And then I started using it in uh, the gym when we started doing kettlebell competitions. So we'd get together as a group. We'd take teams to the uh, Australian Kettlebell Championships. And mate, we'd get there. Everyone's nervous. We'd do the power. And everyone's like, man, these guys are crazy. And uh, and it worked to our advantage because, you know, before a comp, a lot of people were nervous. And mate, you do it over in America. And everyone's like, man, this guy's crazy. He's bloody riding kangaroos. And... <laughs> Getting on stage and powering with no sleep and all this sort of stuff. And I was yeah. like, man, you know, the, it was just a bit of a psych-out thing. It Effectively, fun. it's a reminder though, isn't it? It's a reminder to not be a miserable bastard. Get out there, have a good go and make the most of things. Mate, huge. It's like, uh, I think around that time, I we were listening to uh, some personal power tapes by Tony Robbins. He's talking about like power moves and, you know, changing your state like instantly. And yeah. that was uh, our core action to change our state. So kind of essentially, we taught ourselves how to change your state without even... Listening to Tony Robbins' tapes, but more listening to Step Brothers. <laughs> so, you know, let's get to the nitty gritty, Dave. You're a you're a small country boy. You come from Yanko out there in West New South Wales. What's the what's the um, population? Oh, of? mate, five five hundred and forty nine. I left. You know, so, <laughs> so five fifty before yeah, five, Dave left. Something around like that. You know, you yeah. live in Bondi these days, which we'll get to in a moment. But tell us about life growing up in Yanko. You know, it's a uh, you know, well, you know, you're like you're not listening to you know Tony Robbins living out in Yanko more than likely. You know, and, nah, mate. and unfortunately those five people that you surround yourself with, you know, like yeah, you know, it's a pretty small pot to draw from. So. Yeah, mate. <laughs> tell us about life back then. Mate, it's pretty funny, um, and I've read a lot, my dad taught me a lot, and you know, it's one day I was about 10 years old, it was the first time my dad called me a, um, a wanker. And, um, the first time? Yeah, 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 the <laughs> first time, many times after that, I, I think it was a wanker or a dickhead or something like that, and I said, Dad, what do you mean, you know I'm a good, you know, I'm your son. He's like, no Dave, you're hanging around wankers, yeah. and uh, if you keep hanging around wankers, by association you'll be a wanker, like perception is reality. Yeah. And, um, you know, it really sort of, I was like, man, you know, like we've got about 10, you know, 10 kids to hang around in Yanko, but, you know, I went to school in Leeton, so it was a bit more. So it was pretty rough, but then uh, it kind of stuck with me. So, mate, growing up in a small country town, it was cool. My nan's just down the road. Um, we've got the river a lot. You know, we had a big backyard. It was really cool in that sense. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I didn't know any better, really, so... So tell us, how'd you fill your days? You know, what were you into? Was there any was sport and fitness a part of your life back then as a child, or was this something that you evolved into in your teens? Mate, um, I had a, a birth defect when I was a kid, so I actually uh, I had I lost one of my kidneys when I was three years old. Yeah, and they actually diagnosed me with cancer, and they told my parents I was going to die in six months, and it caused a lot of uh, flow and effect, but with uh, like, you know, sort of affected my parents a fair bit. Yeah, and um. And so I had my kidney out, and then from there on, I wasn't allowed to play contact sports. And so I was a bit of an adrenaline junkie. I think I had, 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 had <laughs> I can't even say it, ADHD and bouncing off the walls and that. So, uh, mate, I got into like skateboarding, swimming, basketball, soccer, uh, all those types of sports. Um, then got into motocross. That was like my big passion. Yeah. So racing, and that was really, really cool. And uh, when I was about 13, my dad... Uh, sold my bike for a barbecue, so I... Uh, <laughs> Joking. Yeah, so... You must, to, you must have been a wanker, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, I had to sort of find something else to latch onto, and and it just happened to be... Uh, it, was, it sort of led into it was, um, 
you know, I'd always idolized watching Arnold Schwarzenegger and, you know, I had the, the bodybuilding DVD uh, booklets. Yeah. But I could never connect with anyone in the gym. So we'd go to the gym for school and there was no Arnold Schwarzeneggers in the, in the gym. So um, it took me a while. I was kind of a little bit lost as a teenager. And then uh, I was getting kicked out of high school and I had uh, this, this high school teacher pull me aside called Mark Elliott, who's an ex-military guy, this big, big unit. And he's just a machine, but a really respectable guy, like, you know, like a real man. Yeah. And, uh, mate, he took me under his wing and he introduced me to the kettlebell. So that's kind of where it all started with the sports and you know, just the general stuff in Yanko, but that's kind of where things really took off. Yeah, nice. So tell us about, you know, your, obviously you learn, um, you know, some kettlebell techniques. You start to get that feeling of, you know, progressive overload and lifting and, you know, feeling strong. Um, you know, I'm, not many other people would know this, but you started your first gym or really your only gym out in Yanko. Tell us about that. Mate, um, so when I got introduced to Mark, kettlebells were unheard of. So Iron Edge, Rick Ravensdale from Iron Edge, we were buying his kettlebells from the prototypes from his um, lounge room, mm. uh, which is now Iron Edge. You know, you know, it's 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 a really impressive uh, company. And um, so Mark had some of the first five. It was all top secret. So with Mark, he didn't want to train anyone that would get into fights or use it in a bad way. Mm. So we'd only train people that that he believed had you know good intentions. And so um, we were doing a bit of MMA at school. He come and did MMA, and then. Uh, I respected that, so I was like, I'm going to come try what you do, and it was all top secret, so it was like, you know, this type of training that, you know, from Russia, and made, um, and if anyone in the kettlebell world, like, you know, 11 years ago, kettlebells were this underground strength tool, and so when I started lifting bells with uh, Mark and his shed, you know, we weren't allowed to talk about it, it was like Fight Club, and made the feeling that I had from lifting... It was it was a pretty empowered feeling because I'd walk out of the shed feeling better than I walked in. Yeah, and I just knew like something just like clicked within me, and uh, I knew that I'd sort of found like something that sort of I'd been missing for years, some sort of energy and, outlet. And for those that don't know, when you were young, you had a speech impediment as a young fella. Man, um, yeah, yeah. So I think I still struggle with it. But I'm always saying things back to front, but it was uh, yeah, it was a funny thing, man. Like growing up, I they actually thought that I was uh, not all there in many ways and I think a lot of people still do mm. but um, for me I think my mind sort of went too fast for my mouth to keep up yeah. and uh, which probably got me in trouble at school a lot so it's your well. mouth fault then yeah my mouth <laughs> it needs to keep up man so I'm trying to train it at the moment yeah good boy um, yeah man so well, we started when I was 17 in the shed so just started training my sister and was there something now about fitness or something you know let's just use that elusive word movement was there something about movement that uh, gave you a, a level of personal expression that, that speech couldn't. Yeah, man, like the kettlebell was like a tool. So I, I kind of say it's like it was my vehicle uh, to allow me to be in control of my own, uh, you know, like they sort of say like destiny or whatever. Yep. Uh, my own future, you know, because living in a country town, like the, you know, the opportunities is like, you know, get a trade, um, get married, have kids, buy, you know, get your house and, that's sort of it. And I always saw there was something more more to life in that, you know, and I saw my parents, like, they worked themselves, like, you know, in many cases almost to the grave with, you know, just, you know, work for being very loyal to big companies for, like, 40 years at a, you know, at a time. Mm. And I just sort of saw that, you know, my parents have just sacrificed their whole life to give us these opportunities. You know, I've got to really, you know, I just couldn't see myself doing the same thing. I had to use that foundation to, to do something else. Mm. Um, to drastically change and made um, you know, getting that shed. You know, if we had a few family events that 
was kind of like I was working full time, four jobs at the time. I was, you know, when I was in high school, I was already doing 40 hour weeks, uh, if not more. Um, so the shed was like a vehicle for me to start something where I could help people and channel my energy um, that I loved. You know, yeah. I couldn't believe it when we first got paid to do it. Yeah. I was like, man, this is incredible. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, so anyway, that's how this, the shed started, man. We just loved, loved the training. I fell in love with it, walked out better than I went in. Mm. At the time, like, when I, when I got that feeling, I was hooked, you know, so I want to tell everyone about it. Mm. And, you know, first people is my family because, you know, it was top secret, so you couldn't tell anyone else. Mm. And, uh, man, you know, at the time, all it was was bodybuilding and marathon running. Yep. Um, you go to the gym, it was just like spin classes and aerobics. And my mom didn't want to do any of that. You know, she's, she wanted to be healthy, but she didn't really have any outlet as well. So that's what I created, man. It wasn't uh, being by, in the fitness industry or following any suit. We just created our own, like, uh, inclusive environment, no matter what shape, size, uh, what social status you were or whatever it is, you come here, like, we're all equal. Yeah. That was uh, the environment we created, which was pretty unique back then. It still is. <laughs> and no doubt, even in a small town, that would have been well-received, I'd say. Mate, well, like, we'll consider it. It was funny. We had, like, high school teachers, the PE teachers, and all that used to bag us out. And it was quite funny because, like, I sort of based everything off results. So, we, we you know, got bagged out for these kettlebells because they were unsafe. You couldn't do deadlifts. You know, the only way to get cardio was from running. Like, it was – we got <laughs> frowned upon a lot. They hadn't used kettlebells, obviously. Mate, obviously. But at the same time, I – for me, you know, I, I looked at, again, results, and I looked at Mark, and he was, his, his body was, you know, he was a machine, you know, fit, athletic, in his 40s, and then I saw these school teachers in their 30s, and when I got a job in a bar, I noticed that they were, like, borderline alcoholics. Mm. I, they didn't protest any, uh, possess any characters that I really wanted to admire to and be influenced by in a positive way, and their bodies were wrecked. Their hips, their ankles, they were overweight. I was like, how are these guys teaching us about fitness when they're not leading by example? I'd much rather follow Mark, who's respectable, he's a gentleman, he's got four daughters, he's got a family. Man, this guy was leading for example. And that, that, was, so much, that was so much more uh, appealing to me because yeah. he's like an actual doer, where the others, we kind of call them shit talkers. <laughs> yeah. Plenty so, of those, unfortunately. Yeah. What, what's so. the kettlebell mean to you these days, Dave? You know, you've won. Tell us about the titles you've won, because I, I've been <laughs> I've been over in America with you in Columbus. Yeah, man, that's where we met. Won a big event over there, which was cool. And um, you know, tell us about um, you know, because I know with this last, uh, it was the Arnold then in Melbourne. Yeah, um, man. Arnold, you yeah. you hadn't even swung a kettlebell for a while, and sort of pretty much just got ready for this comp. So yeah, how mate. strong's that relationship with this little you know cannonball of iron mate. still? When I when I got the kettlebell, man, it was. Um, I would just spend hours in the backyard just flipping and swinging and creating new moves. And, uh, man, when I was 18, I was on the road up at Scotty Williams in CrossFit. Uh, what was it called? He's at now SFS. Um, Scotty Williams over there, who was that active. You know, I was going around and teaching people kettlebell technique in, uh, in gyms when I was like 18 with my, my ute and my sister coming along, uh, Sister Sonia, yeah. um, which was crazy. But, uh, mate, the kettlebell, mate, it's just been my vehicle to really uh live life in a way like it's you know it's quite it's quite amazing that i had amazing people that got behind me in my small town and and actually paid for me to go sponsored me to go to america um mate the first comp i ever went in was australian titles actually so we did an online comp which is all underground you had to submit online and i submitted my scores and my my members actually counted me and they actually um they called me a liar 
Oh, really? Yeah, they, they didn't, doubted your yeah, numbers. Yeah, they didn't believe my numbers. So I was like, okay, well, let's throw down. So made, uh, me and my best mate, uh, Simo, we, we packed the car. It took us like seven hours to get to Melbourne. We got lost. And uh, two country guys, first time driving to Melbourne by ourselves. Mate, anytime you hang out with a Simo, you're going to have problems. Simo, you got a Simo, mate. And, <laughs> Everyone's uh, got a Simo. Mate, so we, yeah, we got there and we, mate, they didn't believe us. So we, we threw down like I had. It was actually the second time in my life that I had my foot go through the bottom of my shoes. Wow. The first time was when I was skateboarding. We couldn't afford skate shoes. And I skated until my I had palm-sized holes in my skate shoes. And I just keep putting inner soles your in there. Your foot went through the bottom of your shoes. So what, I, snatching or? Nah, we, I was jerking. Wow. <laughs> so, um... With the kettlebells, and uh, <laughs> and uh, I'm glad you. Uh, yeah, mate. Everyone sort of right. gets that yeah. wrong, but um, mate, that, that was the first real comp in that. And uh, man, like it was funny. We turned up. I had no real idea on how to, you know, the technique. Mm. The good thing about living in the country, man, is I always thought people were so much better than me. So I'd just train relentlessly. Yeah. So you know, I'd be training at midnight. You were comparing yourself with the monster in your head. Exactly, exactly. Mm. So that's what I would train to, but um. Yeah, man, I threw down from Dunlop Volleys and I even had people in the crowd like bagging me out when I first got on there because I was like, who's this kid from the country? Like, I was a nobody. Yeah. Uh, but that just fueled me. And nine minutes later, I was just went faster. So it's a 10-minute set. Yeah. And uh, at the end, they shut up. So it was a pretty cool uh, moment in in their career. But, um, mate, from there, I, you know, I got, got the sponsorship from um, my my clients, um, uh, the Sealy family from Climate Technologies, an amazing family that... Again, they started from nothing in a small town and created this amazing, you know, basically if you look at the air conditioner on the roof, they invented that in Australia. So mm. these guys, um, you know, believed in me from the start as well and they, they paid me to go to Vegas of all places. And uh, from there, and then, you know, it's kind of rolled on. So I've been managed to win uh, six consecutive uh, American titles, yep. a world title in Chicago in 2012, uh eight Australian titles so that's that's kind of the stuff but yeah but you know this is when kettlebells went you know it's not as exciting sport so um and I love your shirts you're always competing and and all the banter leading up to these things you know Uh, I don't know if if everyone's seen it but I know a lot of people have seen your shirts which says you know how many question mark are you Mm. how how many reps and then you know the rest of it of course is as many as it takes well mate so you've got that mindset right that don't quit just fucking grit down and get the job done yeah, fuck, man. Like, um, I'm glad you swore first. Um, <laughs> mate, the the comps, man. Like, so for me, the only thing that I could actually come home with and feel proud of is winning. Yeah. And so if these people are going to believe in me, it was like, I'm going to fucking do whatever it takes. And a lot of people in competitions, when you compete, and I'm a big fan of Arnold, and, you know, you see Pumper Guy and where he... He says, you know, I've already won. I've already won. You know, talking to Franco's mum. By the time I get on stage, I've already won. You know, you know. So, um, yeah. So, uh, you know, I analyze that a lot. So then, how do all these people when you go to comp and they'll be talking about, oh, how many reps are you going to do? How many reps are you going to do? And there's these things called ranks. So people like lift to this certain rank, mm. but the ranks are actually quite low. So I'm not rank. I'm not. I'm not lifting the rank. I'm lifting the win. Yeah. And if I'm going to win, what's the number that I've got to put? And so I figured all that out, did all the calculations, and then I would train to that. Yep. Well, actually, I'd actually train above it. Yep. So when you go to compete, it's actually easy. Mark taught me this whole thing about train hard, fight easy. Mm. All the work is done before you get on that platform. Yep. So it doesn't matter if you get if you don't get sleep, you don't eat. At the World Title, we had Pop-Tarts. I had half Mate, a Pop-Tart. You're in the States. <laughs> yeah, man, it's pathetic. So 
everything is done before. And, when, and then that whole how many thing was uh, uh, this, you know, when they're asking how many reps you're going to do, man, like my, my honest answer is I'm going to do as many as it takes. And, it, and then it basically become my... my catch cry. The catch cry. And then, you know, like the shirts and um, everyone's... I got in trouble by wearing them actually because he's meant to wear Australian colours. Yeah. And I was just always dressed in black, how many... And then on the back, as many as it takes. So it was a, a cool thing that come out of that. And then I've kind of used it in in everything because that's like it was just through brute work ethic. Which Well, success in one area of your life flows onto the next, doesn't it? You know, it's, it's just the way it works. Yeah, I guess if you have that attitude, like if you're prepared to just to work hard at it, man, that's that's the, the biggest thing is work ethic. So back to Yanko, um, <laughs> you... You're basically, you know, an up-and-coming guy. Um, you're pumped on fitness. You know, your your big thing is, um, you know, helping good people win, which is yeah. really your your main catch cry. That's the thing that I know that you yeah. uh, hold closest to your heart, which is awesome, and I know people will really resonate with. And I'm imagining the move to Bondi was simply because you just didn't have the numbers of people to influence <laughs> out west, right? Uh, mate, <laughs> look, there's a, there's a numerous amount of things, and. Uh, you've put the 30 day challenge is something that, that, you know, something that I do and I, and I, and that started in Leeton, uh, which is this basically is a, a program that I created because the first person I ever trained was my sister and she got amazing results and, you know, and it led for her, like, man, my sister just like become this mate, like even more amazing person and just really came to life and, you know, she just got married the other day. She's currently on a honeymoon and I really talk about it being Congrats, really great. Both sister. my sisters are absolutely rock stars. My older sister, man, without her, you know, we wouldn't have any of things, anything here. So it's, it's been a big family push to do this. But, mate, um, oh, what was the question again, man? So, <laughs> Just talking about you moved to Bondi. Oh, the Bondi, man. So, you know, it was, if you want the honest sort of thing, man, it was, it was quite, you know, with the gym and that, you know, the challenge was taking off, like, man, the, the challenge is designed to help people get results, like showing them what they need to do. Mm. And I was telling people every day what to do, but it's only when you put a time frame on things and you actually get them to value something, they actually value that, you know, value what you're telling them and then take action. So I started to sort of realize that, you know, that this sort of system worked. And then I just started to say, okay, well, what tools do they need? But as well as that is if you can't connect with someone, if you can't, find out their why, why they want to do something, telling them a piece of information is just information yeah. and you want transformation. And so that's where the challenge is, is, is actually gets that through the seminar. And Let's go back to that word results a little bit. Um, you know, I know just from you know, having brekkie with you this morning um, <clears throat> that results for you aren't the same as what results are for others and the 30-day challenge is uh, essentially designed to get people thinking, right? You know, 100%. People obviously come in with, you know, um, a driver, which might be, you know, my bum feels a bit big or my stomach's a bit flabby or my energy's not real good or whatever. But, had um, a heart attack. <laughs> yeah, had a heart attack. Well, yeah. you know, it's the greatest motivator, isn't it? Fear yeah. is the greatest motivator Pain, without man. fact, you know? Pain. So um, I know that, the program itself is dressed up as this, you know, 30-day eat well, clean yeah, eating yeah, type, yeah. type program. Yeah. But I know for you it's more than that. Tell, tell us more about what people can expect and, and, and really right. what the whole purpose of the program is. Mate, so, it, yeah, definitely has, is a you lot know what, You know what I mean, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. So with, with it, like, so it's, it's kind of like give them what they want. Give, uh, give them what they want, teach them what they need. Yeah. All right, so, yeah, you know, it's, it's, you could say the, the results in regards to weight loss and all that sort of stuff, but... 
when you actually get in the seminar, it's like I do like a, it's like whole reprogramming of the person's uh, mentality towards their life. So it's improving their quality of their life. It's you know we talk about you know eat, think, and do, but I also go through your environment. So your product, your genotype, and your phenotype. Yep. And your genes are what you've been dealt with. And of course, like man, you're the man that can help uh, maximize your genes and all that sort of stuff. But the things that I could really control of my own self, you know, growing up in a small country town, I can't control that. Yeah. You know, I can't control, you know, school or whatever that is or anything like that. The only thing I can do is be the best me, you know, and not actually let my environment dictate my, my potential in life. Hmm. And so that's where we go through, uh, yeah, your environment, obviously, uh, your, what you eat, what you think, what you do, the books you read, and the people you surround yourself with. And so that's... Um, that's what the program is really about. So the whole, and then to go to a ne- the next sort of level is like, I just get people to raise their standards. Mm. And then when they raise, I their love st- that term. Yeah, when they raise their standards, like, because the system is, abu- if the system is abusable, it will be abused. Mm. So if your life is set up to be abused, you're abusing yourself every single time. And if you think about it, everyone, anyone's listening, we're all guilty of it. We've mm. all, we know what we should be doing, but we're not actually doing it. So therefore, it's not true knowledge. So Bruce Lee, I'm a massive fan of Bruce Lee. I don't know if anyone listening out there is a big fan of Bruce Lee, but I grew up listening to his shit. And Bruce Lee talked about if you know it, but you're not doing it, you don't really know it. Yeah, to know but not to do is not to know. Yeah, you, you know the actual word. So again, yeah. I'm saying to ask about faith. So it's, um, you know, that for me, that's true knowledge. And there's a big thing like... Application is it? Application and action. So I'd rather know a tiny little bit, but be able to transfer that into somebody... And create massive change, mm. more so than know everything in the world, but have this massive fuck off ego, yeah. and not actually connect with anyone, and just pull myself off for a small life, telling me how smart I am. I think that's another Bruce Lee quote. I don't know much about Bruce <laughs> Lee. But it, it was Bruce Lee or someone like him that said something about, um, <clears throat> you know, words to the effect of "This is going to be me." You know, asked yeah. about face, but you know, I'm not. I'm not fearful of the man that you know has um, you know learnt ten thousand moves once. I'm yes. fearful of the man that's learnt one move ten thousand. Exactly. Times. Exactly. So we know a lot of people. It's funny, you know. Like I, I think some people probably. I don't know how to really say it, but the thing like, you know, this guy has done so much with so little and it can be fearful, mm. you know, but I'm, uh, that's what I'm respected. I, I respect is like this guy has been given, you know, when we first started, we didn't even have electricity in the shed. Mm. Like we didn't even have carpet. It was the middle of winter. You know, we had five of the first kettlebells. Like I couldn't even speak. It took six months for my members to actually understand me. And I remember, I still remember standing. You in just my, pointed at kettlebells. Man, I just pointed. <laughs> I was excited. I was high fiving. I was losing my breath. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm demonstrating. You know, like just yeah. bringing the energy. Like because you know, when you're lacking something, you've got to bring something else. That's right. And so that's where you know I'm getting goosebumps talking about this stuff. But that's what we brought. You know, and people are like, oh man, this Dave guy is crazy, but I, I like being in this class, this environment. You know, I can turn up barefoot. It was actually barefoot when we first started training. Mm. Uh, I can turn up wearing whatever we wanted, and and man, that's uh, yeah, that's, that's how we sort of that's how we rolled. Like that was where it was. So that's the, man. The challenge is just about waking people up and giving people the tools they need to actually fucking achieve what they want to achieve. Mm. And tell us, if you don't mind, and we don't need to get you know personal names and things, but you've done this in lots of places now. Like I know you've toured this country, um, you know, the 30-day challenges. How many other countries are you in now? Mate, we're, like it's all through Australia. We've uh, done it in America yeah. too. My, uh, my buddy Craig Funk over there, Fusion Funk Fitness, um, all over there. Then we've done it through uh, England and yeah. also Germany. It's functioning right now. 
Uh, but we've got a world tour coming up, so it starts off next Friday. We've got uh, New Zealand with Dave Latelli. We've got England, Kerry Weber. Then we go to Germany, Suzanne Mode. And then we go to Holland, Amsterdam, Sweden, America, then back to New Zealand, then back Mate. to Australia. So, it's man, it's mental. I could never... Oh, how did say? As a kid, I always had this vision of the world and traveling. Never knew what it would be, and it's sort of like... It's sort of happening. It's weird. And so what's the overwhelming consensus? You know, what what does the general punter take away from a 30-day challenge? Mate, what I do is I teach them the tools that any time their life starts to get overwhelming, their life starts, they start to pile on weight, they start to feel shitty about themselves, they start to get depressed, or or anything like that, it's giving the tools so they go straight to the book, they pull it out and they follow the steps and it's like a, it's a, it's a trigger. It's a Bible. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like that. It's a go-to guide. So it's like giving the tools to make a change whenever they need to. Mm. And, um, you know, and my big push is I want to teach you how to get the most efficient results in the gym so you can live more outside the gym. Because yeah. this whole fitness mentality of you should spend your life in the gym, I'm not a big believer in that. It's more about having fun outside, being with your kids, you know, get, meeting the girls so you can have some kids. Mm. That's, a, that's, that's functionality, you know. That's, that's being real. And... Um, <clears throat> Excuse me, that's that's what the challenge is all about, man. It's giving people good results and getting them to spend the time that they need to spend on the things they need to spend time doing. Mm, I like if that it. that makes sense. And um, what happens after the 30-day event? Where do people generally go after that? Mate, so what we've got is a main program. Um, it's called The Next 90. So it's with Alison Hill, one of Australia's coolest uh, female psychologists. Mm-hmm. And so that's where the challenge is really just uh, a foundation. So if you get people hanging around better people and being in control of their environment. So mm. rather than being a victim, that's pretty empowering. And that keyword power and that empowering. Then you've got the food side. You get people looking after themselves and eating better. They obviously feel good. And they start to get this overwhelming sense of being in control because they're like, all the sh- they're like, oh, holy shit, I'm actually eating good food. Yep. And I'm following through with it. And then the mindset side of things, like, you know, wake that little, wake that, you know, that desire in them to actually get out and do what they wanted to do and give this life a decent crack because we've only got one chance. There's, mm. no, there's no fucking repeat. That's right. You know, every second's ticking, even right now. And then the training side is getting them to be in control of moving their body in ways, you know, some people never find the potential of their body. So once you start getting that, that body moving and releasing good energy, um, and then <laughs> one thing I didn't talk about is, is I say like, fuck motivation, get desperate. Yeah, you know, and it's not desperate and dumb like des- success via necessity. Man, it's not desperate and dumb like your friends get at the pub on a Friday night. Yeah. You know, and then they get dumber and then they whinge about their life and complain and make stupid decisions, all that sort of stuff. It's like getting desperate and being smart enough to go say, "Who do I need to talk to? What do I need to do?" and being relentless with it. Because if you look at Oprah Winfrey, and it's an example I use, Oprah, Oprah, she didn't just wake up one day and go, "I'm fucking motivated." Man, she. And anyone who knows Oprah's story, man, she was she had a miscarriage of a family member. She was abused. She would come from the fucking hell of life. Mm. And then look what she's done out of that. And and that's called post-traumatic growth, yeah. not post-traumatic stress. And post-traumatic growth is one thing that people don't talk about, which is actually more common than post-traumatic stress. No one talks about the positiveness of pain. Mm. And there's a guy called Marshall Thurman. I was pretty lucky. Leanne Sawyer Roberts put me onto him. Marshall Thurman, if anyone's listening out there, look him up. He's got a TED Talks, Predicting the Unpredictable. Um, he studied under Buckmeister Full and Edward Deming, and I got to spend three days with this guy. And he really talks about, and he uses this analogy called the Hydra. 
and you know that mythical creature, you cut one head off, two grow yeah, back, yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. that's the attitude you got to have. It's like pulling out a grey hair. Yeah, yeah, man, yeah, those suckers are going to grow back twice. So anyway, so we've gone on a bit of a tangent here, but anyone out there listening, look up Marshall Thurber. Tangents are good, mate. And that's just the attitude. So the the 30-day challenge attitude, you fall off the horse, you fucking get back up, dust yourself off, get back on it. And don't use this victim mentality of like, oh, I fucked up one meal, so I'm just going to go and ruin my whole week, Mm. you know. Fuck, do you want to achieve something or not? Yeah. You know, and, you it's know, funny, you know, when you talk about meals like that, you know, when I'm dealing with my patient base and we, we're talking around food, <clears throat> it's generally a desperate person yes. who is worried about that one meal. Yeah. And, and I get that and I'm on their level. But like I normally say to them, you know, like we're eating, you know, say, let's say we're eating three times a day, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, which we're not, but in, in these sorts of cases, but let's say we're eating the minimum amount of, you know, just prime meals in a day. That's 21 meals a week, right? So you can either look at the, the one, you know, 21st, you fucked up, <laughs> yeah, or you can yeah. look at the other, you know, 20 succeeded. Yeah. Exactly right, you know? And um, what, what's, your, what's your basic philosophy around food, Dave? Just give us a bit of an, bit of an insight. I'm not talking 30-day program now. I'm just talking what does Dave Tobain kind of aspire to? What's he follow? What's your thoughts on, you know, everything out there, you know, um, you know denying, denying yourself of foods, you know, if it fits your macros, um, paleo diets. Yep. What do you follow? What's your thoughts on it? Mate, just uh, eating eating real food. Like, so in, like you know, in the challenge, I'll tell people, I was like, hey, I'm not the guy that's going to say you're never going to drink red wine again. You're never going to smash a box of chocolates. You're never going to get smashed and have a kebab at the, in the gutter. You know what? It wouldn't be balanced, would it? Oh, well, but look, I don't believe in balance either because balance has been good half the time. Yeah. You know, and who the fuck gets anywhere right. being good half yeah, the time? So right. the whole balance thing is bullshit. It's like saying, oh, you know, I drink and it's all in balance. Like, what, are you fucking pissed half the time? Yeah. You're a fucking alcoholic. <laughs> you know, so that whole balance thing, it's like, oh, you know, like, just, just be balanced. I'm, I'm not, not big on that. It's more big on know what to do when. And so if you decide to eat shit, it's conscious. Yeah. You're aware of it. And you go, I'm eating shit. Yes, I know it. And then what I'm going to do tomorrow, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to fucking, I've got my whole fridge stacked of good food and I'm going to rock the week. And keeping it conscious obviously saves pushing it so deeply unconscious that we shame ourselves for yeah. it in the weeks that come. Yeah, if you want to have... If you want to have a pizza or something like that or whatever it is you consider bad. So you're like me. I, I talk about strategy. I talk yeah. around food strategy. If we're going to have a, you know, a, a strategy where we're going to go out tonight and you know, um, it's, you know, let's say it's your birthday and I'm yep. you know, here on the Gold Coast meeting with you and we want to go and eat pizza and have a few beers and tell stories. You know, food in, in, ineffectually is nourishment, right? Yeah. You know, and we nourish ourselves on many planes. Mate, we'll probably be talking shit that night too, eating shit. That's right. <laughs> right. And you know what? Sometimes it's just nice to eat shit, isn't yeah. it? And just talk shit and have that good time, wake up the next day and go, you know what? That was a fucking good time. I bonded last night yeah. with a good mate and you know, now it's back on the horse because I don't generally it like gu- it either. It was guilt-free, yeah. you know, because the thing is obviously you wake up in the morning you feel hungover, whatever it is. But, you know, in the same time as that, I'm not giving anyone people, I'm not giving people excuses. So when you're on the 30-day challenge... You've got to have that drive. You, well, I help people in that seminar to find their drive, find their why, mm. and stop giving themselves excuses to have the shit meal when they're actually trying to achieve a purpose. Yeah. So it's it's getting, um, mind you, like you know, people. Not everyone's perfect on the challenge. Now, you know, I'm not saying they're being perfect, but it's yeah. Again, it comes down to knowing what to do when. You, you know? spoke. You spoke just um, a few moments ago about. Um, I forget exactly how you termed it, but it was uh, basically people get to a point where they can make a decision to, you know, uh, move yeah, on and yeah, do this, yeah, yeah. or or they can feel sorry for themselves and regress. Bitter, um, bitter, not better. Uh, sorry, better. You want to get better, not bitter. Yeah. And so that whole motivation versus desperation. Yeah. That's okay. It. Motivation. motivation but, yeah. Desperation. That's my that's my big thing, and you know, only people in the seminar will understand this. 
But I say, like, how many fucking motivational quotes is it going to take for you to take some fucking action? Yeah. How many? You yep. see this shit on Facebook? Quote after quote after quote after quote. I remember there's people in my country town that used to tell me, and, and these people I used to look up to say, Dave, I live my whole life by one piece of fucking advice. Mm. And I'd say, you know, please tell me this one piece of advice. And it was very simple. I go, wow. But the thing is, that's how simple it is, is you fucking follow something, that one kick thing, and do it 10,000 times. Yeah. That is success. That yeah. actually grows that. Not fucking getting re-motivated. Because if motivation is like taking a shower, right? If you rely on it, uh, one shower, uh, which actually, like, how do you say, if you, if you, it is like, it's like, oh, man, I stuffed that whole saying up. But anyway, if, um, with, with, with the whole thing with quote after quote after quote, it loses its meaning where yeah. one, one quote has meaning. Mm. Um, you know, it's kind of like give a kid 10 teddy bears or 100 teddy bears, you won't appreciate any. But, you know, you give one a kid one, they'll bond with that teddy bear for life. Mm. Um, you know, it's like I use the told term at the start, genotype versus phenotype. Yeah. And I talk about uh, Johnny and Donnie. You know, Donnie is a young kid that got shipped off to Ethiopia for, uh, since he was born. And then when they're 18, they meet back up and you got Johnny who's in Australia. You know, he, he went to the private schools he, or whatever it is, went to the schools. He had all the teddy bears. He had every opportunity in the world. Mm. Uh, but what do you tend to see that these Johnnies in today's society is they're upset, of, they're up, you know, they're depressed. Mm. They've got, they don't think there's any opportunity. But you see Donnie, who comes from Ethiopia, like I'm not stereotyping here, but typically when I ask the crowd, I say, hey, what would you think that Donnie living in Ethiopia would look like at 18. What was his body complex? And people say, normally skinny. And I draw a stick guy. Mm. All right, Johnny, growing in today's society where statistics are going and where the food is going, what's Johnny's going to look like by 18? What do you think? More than likely overweight. Yeah, more likely overweight, right? And now, and I say an interesting fact about that is Johnny is fucking upset, living in the best fucking country in the world, Mm. more opportunities than ever before, more connection, more ability to... You know, to build her own business or whatever it is online. And then Donnie over here, he grew up kicking a fucking rock as a soccer ball, mm. but he fucking loved that rock. Mm. You know, and he comes over and he sees it and he appreciates it. And, and it's, a, it's a common thing, you know. They say about people who come to Australia, they're four times more likely to be a millionaire in Australia because yeah. they see fucking potential because yeah. they haven't had it. But in Australia, we don't have that contrast. Mm. And so we think we don't have enough. Uh, oh, you know, it's a tough life and all this sort of stuff. I'm not on fucking MTV cribs or whatever it is and it's like yeah of course you're not you don't have a fucking crib you haven't worked your ass off for it you know or if you do it's you know you didn't earn it you know i saw a study a while ago this is this is about chocolate so it's completely off track but it's it's just and this was a you know a, a full um double blind study that was done and, and essentially you had um groups of people that were given the opportunity of, of um consuming chocolate from you know different trays and you know one tray and they were all the best chocolates they were all they had the belgian and they were all the you know, the, the, the best cocoa and all that kind of cool stuff. And basically, people had an op- opportunity to you know, choose a chocolate from a tray of 60-odd chocolates. Yep. And then they had um, you know, another opportunity to choose a chocolate from a tray of six. Yeah. And the, the overwhelming consensus was the fact that the people that chose the chocolate from the tray of 60 were never satisfied with their choice. Yeah. They always wondered whether they'd made the, you know, in, you know, quote, end quote, most delicious choice. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas people who were choosing from the six chocolates were generally happy with their choice yeah. based upon the fact that of that six that you know they could make a you know a, you know, yeah. a, a relatively educated guess on the fact that that one there is going to blow right. the skirt up and I'll have that one thank you very much now now anyone listening out there think about it when your parents or your grandparents got married they got married and they found their wife in a small little town most likely or wherever it is and they're happy and they stayed like stayed together forever now look at today's society are we getting married earlier in age 
No. Not at all. Mm. And now at the same time, we've got Tinder, we've got Facebook, we've got Instagram and all this sort of stuff. How much choices are out there? Mm. Hence why like the relationship level is like, you know, not saying for everyone, of course, but you know, the chances of a relationship forming 60 years ago compared to now is actually quite different, mm. which is exactly with the chocolate bloody theory. Mm. We'll call it the chocolate theory. So... You know, taking all this into consideration, you're obviously a, a pretty in-depth guy, um, quite philosophical. What motivates you, Dave? What drives you? Uh, look, there's, there's numerous things. Um, I, I typically say, like, my mum's still working, like, seven days a week. You know, like, my, I went from, you know, in that little backyard garden shed, I was working four jobs at the time, training at midnight. You know, I got my apprenticeship, working at a bar, working in a kitchen, mowing lawns and, and in the gym and all that sort of stuff. Um Man, you know, so I saw all the, the pain and struggle my parents went through and, you know, raising us kids and giving us the opportunities and all that sort of stuff. And, um, mate, I just, you know, I just wanted to actually, yeah, I just wanted to do something that I was actually passionate about and loved and be able to enjoy the journey of life, not just wait till the ending where you can go on the caravan and all that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, Which is cool, by the way. Yeah, man, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah well, fuck, you know, like... And, you know, if, and at the same time too, like, you know, I see my parents grind away, like working in jobs and, you know, I sort of like, well, they didn't really get freedom hmm. by doing that, you know? So I was like, man, I've got to figure out, and it, and it comes down to system, you know, I've got to figure out a system and not rely on time and, um, to create something, you know? So therefore money's not an issue hmm. and you're doing something you love and you're helping people and you're in control of your life. Hmm. So therefore you can enjoy every moment not just wait till your dying moments to say, fuck, I should have lived. Mm. Um, you know, so I guess I've seen a lot of people do that in my small town and, you know, and yeah, I kind of more, yeah, I guess motivated to just fucking discover as much as life. And, you know, I figured out that, you know, I got a lot of enjoyment and I sort of found my my mojo when I was helping other people, mm. you know, and it, and it all sort of stemmed when I was a kid, you know, I was the guy, like my best friend was a bit nerdy at school. And I was like his bodyguard, you know, so people try and pick on him and I would be the one that would look like after him. get the power first. Yeah, yeah. I was like, man, you want to get my friend? You got to come through me first. So, you know, I'd kind of, I'd, in a way, I actually bullied the bully who bullied everyone else. So it's kind of like the, you know, I'm trying to help everyone else out. So not, not to say that you should bully the bully, but um, I don't know what you'd call that. Maybe the enforcer against the school bullies, but... I know. I just, I just had this awesome. I just had this awesome feeling around helping people and like making people feel welcome. I was connecting the new kids who come to school, helping him find his friends. Yeah. You know, and that's that's a big thing about what I do now is helping good people win through connecting to the people that they need to know and setting them up for the strategies. You know, I got a small small website company with my buddy in America. So we do we do a lot of um, you know things online where we're t- helping the good trainers get connected. Give it a plug. But what's it called? Uh, it's, we call it game changers. So it's like changing the game. So typically, if you think about a lot of trainers, it man like training is a tough world, tough it gig. Is, absolutely. You know, like doing the right thing by people. Like man, like I've trained started off man for free. You know, and and again, if this bu- system is abused, will it be abused and. What I notice is these trainers are like the modern day superheroes. They're helping people change their life. You know, and I've compared it today to like, if you go out and buy a car, like what, how much would you spend on a car? Well, you know, so I guess, you know, somewhere between 30 and 50 grand or something. 30, 50 grand. Does it change your life? No. 
not at all. You know, it probably puts you in debt, you know. So, and it's superficial. So, all of a sudden, the buzz wears off and you're really left with this bloody shitbox by the end of it. Mm. And you, and really didn't add any quality of life. But if you look at all the trainers out there, they're fucking changing people's lives at, on a personal level, on an emotional level, on a relationship level, in a body world, a physical, mental, all that sort of stuff. Spiritual even, you know. And these are the real superheroes, but they're not really getting the... They're not really getting the reward for it because they're actually not valuing themselves. Like they're actually, to a degree, you know, the good ones, they're humble. They want to help for free and all this sort of stuff. Now, if someone's got money to buy coffee, junk food, alcohol, they've got money to pay the trainer well. Mm. And this trainer is spending their life dedicating it to helping good people. I do believe that those good trainers deserve to be rewarded uh, in the same level of or the help they're doing because you've seen this industry have you ever seen a douchebag trainer make money <laughs> have you rip some people off and make money uh yeah short term yeah short term yeah never but long term never long term but what they do is they go out and they rip people off they rip people off they keep ripping people they just find new ponds to rip people off mm. so i'm like okay look at you know and I, as a kid i would always look at the system and go why is that kid getting picked up you know, uh, picked to do something. So when I speech put on, you know, I see the kid get put, picked up in class. I was like, what characteristics or, you know, I didn't know that word back then, but I was like, what makes him unique? And then I, then in the training world, I'm like, what are the best guys doing? And then so, you know, what I was like, you know, when I was a kid, I was like, man, if I, you know, if I do the right thing, you know, I'll have someone come in and see me helping out like this small country town and they'll whisk me up and teach me everything. Hmm. Never happened. <laughs> yeah, fuck. You know, <laughs> You know, I, I spent a lot of money on trying to do courses and stuff to try and have, you know, this influence, but it never happened. It was always learned the hard way. Mm. And so what I do now is I teach people that I wish that I learned back when I started. So I teach all these trainers that are the good people, and typically you see a lot of people undercharge. But then what actually happens is they don't get the transformations they could be getting when they charge accordingly. So I call it operating from the, the uh, like an authentic, uh, like an authority space. Yes. So if you're undercharging you'd see trainers actually burn out. They're giving, 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 giving. There's no return on a, on a value level. Yep. Uh, there is like high fives. It's I love you. This is my best trainer in the world. But it's like, this is the best trainer in the world that I don't value enough and I'll spend $100 on getting pissed hmm. than paying this guy who changes my life. What you're saying is that they're not capable of having continuity in the marketplace and so they tend to burn out. And They tend to burn out, yep. change. And these are the best guys, you know? So... I'm like, okay, so, and, and it's not about the money side of things, uh, like, you know, obviously, like, that's not everything, mm. but if you do do the right thing by people and you help people out and you change their life, I do believe there is a value to that, mm. and it is a monetary value, yep. everyone has their own monetary value in that sense, and so, yeah, it's more about helping trainers make more of a difference, um, get better results, help their clients more. You know, get their tech things together, whether it's online or offline, their marketing, all that sort of stuff, in a way that uh, is authentic, is ethical, yep. and it's it's not salesy, it's not douchebaggy. Where can people yeah. do the thirty day challenge, by the way? Oh, the challenge. So that's um, they can do it at gyms like all over Australia. Man, is uh, we're about to be online. Yep. 
Um, you so know, they'll be able to do it one-on-one without a gym online, is that yeah, right? Yeah, you'll be able to do that. And, then, and otherwise, if there's any um, gym managers or gym owners listening now or people who are members of gyms, they could put some pressure on <laughs> their relative gym to possibly look you up and bring the 30-day challenge into a gym. Does it work that way as well? Yeah, it is. Yeah, we, we are, I work with the gym and you know they, we've got to be in line with, you know they've got to be good people doing good things. and Yeah, in line know, with the philosophy. Yeah, in line yep. with the philosophy and then, and then I help them to connect with more good people that, that they want to help. Mm. So... Which is cool, you know, I love that. And I'm finding a lot of that. I'm finding, and you know, case in point with me, you know, traveling the country, um, uniting and talking to people, but I'm finding a lot of these cool people like yourself and Keegan Smith was another one that are yeah, out there legend, like, yeah. actually trying to, you know, like make a difference. Do you know what I mean? Actually trying to use movement as a vehicle for, yeah. you know, I guess ascending, you know. The, personal or, development. It's a vehicle for personal development. Exactly. Um, yeah, and... Yeah, that's it, man. It's cool, you know, and that's that's the vehicle we sort of chosen. You know, we sort of chose us in that way. So tell me, uh, with you personally, Dave. This is a real personal question. And beforehand, when uh, you were talking about, you know, your sisters, and you were saying that really, you know, this has been a big family thing. We could have done it. You know, I saw your eyes slightly well up. I know it's an emotional topic for you, and I know that you are uh, very tight with your family, and that's a, a strong motivator for you. Um, <clears throat> but you've also come through that adversity. You've come through the speech impediment. You've come through small town bullshit. You've come through, you know, these sorts, you know, you know uh, inability to communicate appropriately. Um, and, and I want you, if you don't mind, this is just for the benefit of the listeners. I want you to really feel that adversity for a moment and just give the people, I guess, your best advice um, yeah. as to, you know, if someone's in a similar boat where they feel downtrodden, they feel beaten, they feel hopeless. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's all fucking good for you living in Bondi with your 30-day challenge. <laughs> yeah, Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I just want you to be able to, like, give our, give give the listeners a bit of an idea as to where they should first start, you know, and, and how to reach out and who to talk to and what they should be looking for ultimately. Man, like, it's quite funny you say this, man. Like, this is the advice that I got when I was – I had this uh, guy called Brad Booth who came and talked to us at school. And that was when I was 16, and also um, they put us in this program where we weren't fit for school. And he came and talked to us, and the way he talked about his family, the way he talked about his business, that was the first person that ever connected with hope. Because mm. I had all these people <laughs> talking about workforce, and I was boring us to shit. Yeah. You know, and I was like, man, what? Like, they're not even enthused about it. And then Brad came in and talked about his wife. He talked about the 15 minutes that he gets to spend with his kids. And he said, you know, I work massive hours. But those 15 minutes when I'm bathing my kids, that is the most precious time that I, I get. That's yep. what I look forward to every day. And I'm working hard and I'm, I want to create a life that, you know, that I'm proud of, my family's proud of, and, you know, and we can you know, do cool stuff. And I heard that and then you know, I actually went and asked someone very close to me and, and uh, I actually said, man, you know, because I was working with so many people, like so many jobs, I said, I said um, you know, I'm going to go work for this guy. I'm not really into clothes, but... I want to learn from this guy. I want to learn about life. You know, I'll, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll sweep whatever. I'll pick up shit. I'll, I'll climb through roofs. I'll do whatever it takes to learn this. And um, and then my response was, why the fuck would they teach you? Mm. Why? Who, who 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 said that? Oh, mate, it's 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 actually my dad. But um, yeah, I think he was in a shitty mood. So my dad's taught me a lot of a lot of good stuff, and he's also taught me. But was this him as an advocate saying, "Why the fuck would they teach no, you to to get you thinking?" I guess you no. know, past that point, or was you know? Mate, was... I, I think it was like to be totally honest. I think it's just maybe his experience with with people, like and how they maybe treated him was yeah. you know that successful people don't share the success. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but the thing is, they won't share the success if you don't ask the question. So anyone out there, and this is some, this is actually like the most powerful thing that I ever got taught, because I went to, went to talk to Brad and I said, "Oh, Brad, you know, like I actually." But when I first went to Brad, I actually walked in his store. I only had fifty dollars in my wallet, and uh, in my whole bank account actually. And I walked in there knowing that he would sell me a t-shirt, all right. And I couldn't afford to lose that fifty bucks. I had stuff to pay for, and but I just wanted to get an opportunity to talk to him. Mm. And I just and my key, my one key thing, I was just like, oh, I wanted to remember my name. And I had problems talking and communicating at that point, you know, because I was also taught to be seen, not heard as a kid. No wonder if I couldn't speak properly when I get in an mm. adult environment. And so, um, Brad surely sold me that fucking T-shirt, but I walked out of there and he remembered my name. So mm. every time I walked in there, I'd just be looking around. I just wanted to connect. And so that whole thing about, you know, why would anyone want to teach you what they know, that's total bullshit. If you look at anyone's success, that and this is the thing, anyone out there, if you're in a fucking, if you're in an abusive relationship, if you're being bullied, if you're had, you've lost everything in your life, if you're a young school kid who's lost at high school, if you're someone who's abusing drugs, they don't know anywhere out. If you're someone that's fucking whatever, whatever the worst situation out there, the best advice is to. Um, go out and just fucking talk to someone who actually is doing what you want to do. Talk to them because I'm sure as hell they'll be more than happy to help someone who has the right attitude and wants to learn. Yeah. Especially in today's world. It's all attitude, isn't it? It's fucking attitude, man. Attitude is everything. You just got to have that desire. Yeah, it's funny. A place I uh, I worked was actually one of, one of my clinics. <clears throat> one of my uh, one of my staff members there had this cup, this coffee cup I'll never forget, and it said on it, um, attitude written really large attitude and then underneath it it said a little thing that makes a big difference yeah you know and it's funny i find that you're, you're right when those people out there who have you know made it um you know from outside in of course yeah um these people generally have come from somewhere and they've generally got a story and i find that generally they're happy to share it you know oh, and uh and, and who wouldn't you know what i mean it's like you get to the point of like being terrific and you know like people like to talk about themselves right yeah, you know yeah, what i mean yeah, so yeah, at the end of the day you know i i, I hear what you're saying and, and yeah. your advice for people is though is to connect to communicate Mate, and to yeah. talk to the people who don't are be doing don't be what you want to to do yourself yeah. and don't don't be afraid to because yeah. the thing is we're all going to die one day, so why fucking die wondering? Mate, I used to do it in the gym when I was a kid. I used to walk up to guys. I'd find the guy with the biggest shoulders, and I'd say, mate, what do you do for your yeah. shoulders? And uh, he yeah. couldn't wait to tell me. Yeah. He'd be like, fuck, this place looking at my shoulders, you know? Yeah. And all of a sudden, he's right, right, mate, five sets of five, military fucking, press, and, yeah. you know, suited you know, suited this, and standing this, and they, mate, and, and they love it. True, authentically successful people love to share what they do, because mm. they want to help someone just like they were. Yeah. And that's the whole philosophy about helping good people win, is like, I want to help that person who's... You know, in that country town or in the city, because city is a pretty lonely place. Mm. Whoever it is, wherever they're at, is there someone who has the right attitude and is prepared to take action and do whatever it takes and you know, have that attitude to get out of where they are or improve where they are or um, you know make a career out of their job, their their career, you know, their business or their fitness. Or I work with people in all different industries, but whoever has that attitude, man, that's what that's what I do, and you know, and that's where. And don't ask, don't get, right? Don't ask, don't get, man. That's that's a massive, massive thing. And uh, man, when I when I changed that mentality, and the funny thing is, Brad said to me, 
dude, if you just walked into my shop and told me that you didn't care about clothes, mm. but you want to learn about life, yeah, I would have fucking hired you on the spot. Absolutely. Um, you know, but I learned a lot by working at shitty jobs for um, for a couple more years before I got to actually meet Brad and and, and create that bond with him. Now he's my best mate. Mm. Yeah. Parting words, Dave. Um, mate, uh, pow! <laughs> but, uh, I guess anyone out there. Scared the shit yeah. <laughs> So anyone out there, like, it doesn't matter where you are or anything like that. Like, just go out and talk to people that, and connect with people that are doing what you want to do. Uh, man, fucking life's events we live. We only get one chance, so really is make something of it. Make a fucking difference. Make an impact. You know, um, you know, it's, it's quite funny. Like, fucking fall in love, travel the world, all that sort of stuff. Like, get yeah. out there and just fucking live life because that's how we find ourselves. And and don't be afraid to lose everything and put everything on the line. Like, I just continually put everything on the line multiple times per year. Mm. Uh, you know, I'll help people out and put my old gamble, everything I have on people's success to help them. Yeah. But fuck, that's what life's sort of about. Like, um, there's a really cool book just read recently called The Alchemist. And anyone out there, it's like most time a book, but you know, that'll hit hard with anyone who reads it. But, um, man, just fucking live life. Like, live to the max. Like, don't, don't, don't live to someone else's standards. See, you know what, mate? It's, it's so true, isn't it? And I know it's a cliche and it's like, oh, you get one life, you live it and you can yeah, see it on yeah. billboards and you'll see it on bloody Lorna Jane shirts and all that shit. How many times does it take to see it to actually do it? <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I, I, you, you just, you speak a very simple truth, mate, you know, and um, I don't know whether it's going to uh, convey to our audience, you know, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm sitting here now and, and I feel it, mate. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, it, but it is a simple truth. If this is one life, we do get one shot. Even if we do get reincarnated, let's say, <laughs> maybe, you know what? Maybe we do. I don't know. You yeah. know, I'm a fence sitter of all things spiritual because the fact is none of us know. So I just yeah. shut my mouth and listen to anyone's anyone's view. But if you want to be reincarnated, just create a, create a legacy. I just, <laughs> well, mate, I just want to say though that even even if I do get reincarnated, let's yeah. say. I'm not going to know, yeah. Am I? You know, I'm, I'm never going to know. Oh, I was Shannon Brenton in my last life, yeah. you know. So I think that that simple truth does correlate with the fact that this is it, you yeah. know. And um, I'm gifted with perspective through my work because yeah. I I work with so many people who are sick and dying or, or yeah, you know, yeah, fuck, or, yeah, or, or, or dead. And and I guess that does gift me with the perspective of life, and it does yeah. allow me to look into my children's eyes and understand um, just how precious the entire process is. Yeah. But um. I think that it's a point that a lot of us miss. Yeah. You know? Mate, country town, you stare deaf in the face every time you see people that give it up on life. Yeah. You know, and they're just waiting, waiting, waiting. And uh, that scared the shit out of me, man. So tell me about Bondi then. You know, like, how's it different? Uh, the, oh, there's definitely more um, people. <laughs> no, of course. Um, Do you, are they living, you know? Are they, uh, is it, you know, does it correlate? to a different experience to Yanko other than the fact there's a greater population or are people there living you know a different life a better life what are you finding mate look you can be happy in any place you live like the the, the people that I guess the people you surround yourself with is what makes life that's what you know, changes the, and make, that makes a cool place mm. so just because it's got a beach and all that sort of stuff doesn't mean that it's you can be there and miserable, right? Yeah, man. Fuck, there's lots of people in Bondi miserable. People are trying to look outside, you know, they're trying to get external. They're trying to get the boyfriend. You know, you see so many backpacks come through and they're trying to get the boyfriend or girlfriend and, mm. you know, marry into some sort of wealth and live this magical life and have no substance and mm. get inje- facial injections once they get past the point or push off the runway. Mm. But um, as one of my friends say, but man, um, there's some really cool people out there. And the good thing it is, is you see people that 
and living there and I would get to meet a lot of cool people that have um, started with nothing you know nothing and then and then they're living there and I guess it's a it's a place where people um, who have created success live people who you know have maybe inherited success live people who are trying to find success it's, you know it's like a the strange version of LA I guess you know mm. people there trying to make an act uh, make yeah. an impact yeah you know trying to get somewhere in life and um, you know, a lot of people say about, you know, warn me about it being, being superficial and all that sort of stuff. But the thing is, I just choose to hang out with cool people. Depends where you look, eh? Yeah, it depends what you look. So, you know, I just have my little cafe, uh, Bondi Whole Foods. That's where I go out. Mate, how up. good is Bondi Whole Foods? <laughs> Seriously, yeah. when I'm coming through Sydney, I'm going there to uh, record a podcast with those guys because oh, I don't know whether you've got the, the world's most shit-hot camera or what, but those pictures you put on Facebook of their food, oh, mate. Seriously. Mate, their food is... Mate, just... it, I, I eat well, but I look at those pictures and even the way they cut their avo and stuff. Mate, I, they, mate just, they put love into everything, man. Yeah. You know, you got Chini... You feel ki- it, don't you? Yeah, Chini Kitchen, Ali, the manager, Suzanne and Ash, like... And the whole team there, it is like, again, like like what I created in the gym is this inclusive environment where the the, the environment is cool. And yeah. so when you create that in a workforce, people love what they do. They're mm. passionate about it. And, and you go there, everyone is passionate. They're all trainers. They're all nutritionists. They're all in some way, shape or form wanting to get the best out of life and, and you know, and fueling themselves. And look, it's a it's a really cool place. The amount of businesses and ideas and that that have created out of that little hub is amazing, and it's because it's a proactive uh, environment. They want people to grow. They want people to learn. They want people to eat good food. They want people to invest in themselves. They want they want to help people, you know, see the potential and you know, just eat good food. Like, that's where it starts. You know, mm. what does it say? There's old saying like first we eat, then we do everything else. Yeah. Um, and they're just cool people that you know of. They, they let me use their internet and they were really cool about it when I first came here. I didn't have internet for four weeks. Yeah. And so we just bonded over that. So I think it's, yeah. Dave Tabane, you are a superstar, mate. And um, I want you to know I genuinely enjoy sharing space with you, mate. You're a really good guy. And uh, I'm sure that uh, anyone listening to this podcast is going to get the exact same vibe. Um, super keen for 30-day challenge to be made available um, online. I think that's going to be an awesome addition to your uh, to your range of products. And um, thank you so much for coming on the show, mate. Mate, really appreciate it, Shannon. It's, uh, it's cool. And, and the, the challenge now, what I call it, that's just a signature system. That's my way of impacting more people's lives. Yeah. A cool thing is I do now is I help other people find their signature system, which is cool, or their, or their uh, solution to it and being able to reach more people and that, which is which is cool because that actually outgrows me. That's, you know, everyone out there listening, you all have some form of life-changing thing that you can all uh, pass on to the world, which is cool. I love it. Finish with a pow for me, mate. Pow! <laughs> <laughs> right, you're a legend, Shannon. Thanks Dave very Tabane, much, Dave ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Caravan Conversations, proudly produced by PSE Supplements. To see more about the podcast, including notes from the episode, please visit caravanconversations.com.